I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season two, episode one, The Gathering Storm. Jesus, the old man swore, looking out the window. Is this ever going to stop? Janet just looked at him. She didn't feel like beginning another conversation about the weather. It had been raining for at least five days straight. Some sort of late season, not so tropical storm remnant had wheeled up the gulf and parked over the southeast. The weather was strange. Something about the abrupt cessation of human activity on the planet had thrown everything into chaos. Once again, Janet thought, the irony was thick and steady in the apocalypse. It was much colder than it should be in the South this time of year, and instead of heavy rain, this current deluge came in the form of freezing rain and high winds. Each morning, the standing water in the yard of the house they were hiding in was crusted with ice. Ice coated and clung to the trees. Every new burst of wind from the storm brought a crackling like gunshots as branches shattered from the weight of the ice and collapsed to the ground. The landscape was changing. Trees were being sheared. The roads and paths would soon become impassable, converted into natural abatis. If this were last year before the apocalypse, she would have been worried about the power lines coming down in the storm. It didn't matter anymore, she supposed. There was no power left to be interrupted in the apocalypse. Even if there was, there was no utility line or municipal road crews to fix the wires and clean up the mess. Mother Earth was taking back the land. The works of civilization were being erased much more quickly than she could have imagined. Forty days and forty nights, the old man blurted out in the way he did. So we survived the apocalypse just to be drowned like frozen rats here. You smell more like a goat than a rat, Janet said. Why don't you go outside and stand in the rain with a bar of soap? She rolled out of the beanbag chair she had been dozing in and did ten clean fingertip push-ups, partly to wake up, partly to remind herself that she was still alive. She popped up in a standing position and began to stretch. Over the shoulder of the old man, the gloom of the new day loomed outside the window. A fresh blast of ice pellets bounced against the window like buckshot thrown by an angry wind god. They had been cautiously tracking the king and his army along the river road. The gang, because that's what they really were, not an army, but a marauding gang of a hundred or so thugs. The king and his gang had taken up residence in a golf resort while the storm hovered above. Janet, the old man, and Bill the dog had found their own shelter in a two-story house that had a good view of the resort and its surroundings. They had hoped to wait out this storm, but KJ was getting restless. We need to get closer to do some reconnaissance, 
Janet said, peering out into the storm. Why? the old man asked. Why poke the hornet's nest? Why don't we just go on our way and let these a-holes worry about themselves? K.J. looked long and hard at the old man. Then she shook her head. You really don't get it, do you? She sighed and continued like she was explaining something for the one hundredth time to a slow child. This is not just some random a-hole. This king is a threat to everything. She turned to the window and continued, more to herself now. He's a threat to everything I stand for. He is pure evil, and I have a responsibility to make this right. I need to make a difference. Why? the old man interrupted, asking for the hundredth time. Why you? Why us? Listen, you don't have to stay. You don't have to help, she snapped. But I need to take care of this. Great. I understand you hate this guy. You hate the violence and chaos he stands for. But what's your end game? The old man tried to speak calmly as to not incite her ire. I mean, we've been following and watching them for weeks. What do you hope to accomplish? Then he pulled out his ace in the hole. And besides, you told me you'd help me find Paul. KJ went silent in thought. Why did she hate the king so much? Why was she so driven to stop him? She hated him because he represented chaos and disorder. Her life, her world had been focused on law and order. She spent a lifetime beating back chaos. In her career, she fought for the weak, for the abused, for the disenfranchised. She defended those who could not fight for themselves. This a-hole, whoever he was or whoever he had been, was just like one of those smug, self-important doctors that she brought down. If it wasn't for her and the willingness of people like her to fight for the law, every narcissistic bully would become a warlord. She stood between right and wrong. It was that simple in her mind. There is a greater purpose here. It is my mission. It still is my mission to be the balancing force of civilization, holding back the tide of chaos. This plague had taken her children, her husband, and her parents. She couldn't get them back. She couldn't fight the plague, but she could fight this fight that the universe had given her. She could still pursue her mission. She was needed now more than ever with this world teetering on the brink of a new dark age. And she had the tools. She was smart, hard, focused, and physically strong. She was a weapon for good, and she would not sidestep that responsibility. She came back to the present and looked at the old man. She calmly stated, I'm going to kill him. That's the end game. I'm going to stop him and anyone else like him. The old man shook his head. You're never going to get close enough. That's why we have to get a better look. We need to find a way to get him. We need to see where they are vulnerable. Then we'll strike. The old man looked at her with tiredness. Okay, okay but I think you've got a Captain Ahab thing going here, and I'm losing patience. I'll go for one more snooping adventure with you, but if we don't find something definitive, can we please cross the river and look for... I mean, we're also short on supplies. A guy like this will probably get himself killed before we come back. Live by the sword and all. KJ frowned and thought for a long moment. Okay, I'll do that. 
I committed to help you, and I'll honor that, but I'm not letting this drop. The old man smiled and spread his hands as if he were about to give a speech or quote something like he always did, like he was some sort of Rasputin character. KJ, you're a brilliant personification of the pure essence of fanaticism, and that's why Bill and I like you. Let's just hope you don't get us killed, he concluded. He gave Bill the dog's big head a tussle. Bill rolled on his back, hoping he could negotiate the head tussle into a belly rub. The old man patted Bill's solid chest. No more lazing around, soldier. Time to earn your biscuits. As they assembled their gear and pulled on waterproof camo clothing, the old man thought about how they had gotten here. He had been lost and alone in the days after the apocalypse, and he had found this dog, this soldier's dog. Or more accurately, the dog had found him. Then they had found Janet, or KJ, as she now referred to herself. He had somehow talked her out of homicide long enough for them to form an impromptu group. They were an unlikely team. He was a disgraced doctor with a pension for distance running. She was a corporate lawyer who had lost everything. And Bill the dog. Well, he was a trained soldier looking for a job. They found each other. Like shipwreck victims clinging to flotsam, they found each other after the apocalypse. They had managed to survive these first few months. Somehow. It had been hard going, as what was left of humankind tried to kill itself off with random violence. The virus had felled 95% of the population, and the 5% that was left wasn't handling it well. He was guessing at the numbers. He had been a doctor and knew a little bit about epidemiology, especially from his time in Africa after he'd lost his license to practice in the States. He also knew that plagues were lumpy in their mortality rates. Some areas would be hit harder than others. It was a complex calculus of geography, population density, genetic composition, and mutation rates. Some areas would lose everyone. In other areas, fewer would die directly from the virus. But it wouldn't be long before the electric grid went down and clean water became scarce and sanitation failed. All this would contribute to disease. The pandemic had done a particularly good job of depopulation and done it quickly. It would take a couple generations to bounce back, if they could. It had caught him by surprise, this virus. He had quickly lost hope when the apocalypse came. He had found himself alone with little reason to stay in this world. But he had started to come around after finding this dog and meeting this single-minded woman. He had found a purpose of sorts. He had found a reason to stay here, in this world, after the apocalypse. It was about more than survival. It was about family now. Not only this new, cobbled-together family, but also the last remaining chance of his own family. So he clung to a final task. He wanted to find his son, Paul, who might still be alive down here in Tennessee somewhere. He was so close. And now... K.J. seemed intent on dragging him off on some avenging angel vendetta. God, it never ended. The sleep buffeted the window again, and he cringed. No sense fighting it. When she was focused like this, she was impossible to redirect. He mentally shrugged. Nothing for it. Once more into the breach. 
Today was as good a day as any to make his contribution to the great pile of bones that was humanity's legacy. The sleet bounced off their foul-weather gear and lashed at them as they heard another ice-laden tree collapse in the woods behind them. K.J. peered through a pair of field glasses. It was hard to see through the early morning gloom. The golf resort was carved into the river's edge with resort buildings nestled among a maze of less-than-well-manicured fairways and greens. It was made up of a central hotel space and convention center with sprawling townhouses that radiated outward on the floodplain surrounded by a large meander in the river. The fairways were flooded with the rain and rising river level. Lucky for them, the clubhouse is on high ground, she said. Otherwise, they would have washed away already. Buses, cars, pickup trucks, motorcycles, and a couple Humvees were parked across a circular drive and filled the rear parking areas and lawns. They were looking down from the bluff on the same side of the river as the golf resort. K.J. scanned across a swollen river to an industrial area that spread up the slope and beyond railroad spurs. One advantage to the miserable icy weather was that all the leaves were stripped from the trees. Through the foggy gloom, she could still see enough to make out that nothing was moving over there. Some of the streets were flooding. Nothing was burning. At least this weather helps with the fires, she thought. She scanned her glasses along the riverbank downstream. Her attention was drawn to a bridge that crossed the river about a mile down. She paused and looked hard. Check this out. That might be a problem, she said handing the glasses to the old man and pointing down towards the bridge. He shook the water from the field glasses and tried to focus them into where she was pointing. The bridge was a two-lane road bridge. It didn't look modern. It had quarried granite pilings and a steel and cement superstructure. It looked like it predated the interstate highway system. He saw what had caught Janet's attention. The bridge was under assault from the rushing water of the rain-swollen river. Compounding that, there were newly fallen trees and logs trapped against the pilings. Mixed into this tangle of trees were the cast-off products of the apocalypse. Some cars, a good-sized pontoon boat, and what looked like pieces of buildings or maybe houseboats. All of this was smashed into the side of the bridge, causing the water to pile up and push around any way it could find. That explains some of the flooding, he agreed. Eventually, the river is going to either take that bridge out or find a way around it. It's like a plug in a drain. Not really our concern right now. K.J. pulled his attention back to the golf resort. We can use that tree line along the fairway to get to the back of the clubhouse and see what we can see. Bill, let's go, the old man said over the storm gust as they headed down the hill. Bill obediently marched out from his shelter under a dense cedar tree and headed out into the lead. The tree line was good cover as they approached along the edge of the fairway towards the back of the main resorts building. In some places, the water had pulled up and they had to wade. It was passable, though never more than knee-deep. Bill, out in front of them, did not spot or come across any guards or pickets. This struck the old man as odd, but reaffirmed Janet's comments that this wasn't an army, just a gang of thugs. It made sense that not many people would be out in this foul weather. They didn't think like an army, or maybe they just weren't worried about others finding them. The old man filed that overconfidence or lack of awareness away for future reference. 
Julius Caesar or even Stonewall Jackson wouldn't have left a flank undefended like this. KJ squatted behind a line of low, landscaped holly bushes and trained her glasses on the resort. Near a rear entrance was parked a hotel courtesy shuttle bus. A lone figure sat under the portico overhang with a blanket wrapped around their shoulders. That might be a guard, she said. I'm going to get around behind him along that wall. You take Bill and get behind that bus without being seen. Yes, sir. The old man mock saluted her and took off in a bent-over trot with Bill behind a low hedge. He and Bill moved to a point in the hedge where the bus screened them from the line of sight of the guard or whoever it was. Staying low, they dashed the ten meters from the hedge to the side of the bus away from the building. The storm provided good cover with the winds and pelting, freezing rain. The old man motioned to Bill to lay down and hold as he peered around the back corner of the bus to where KJ was approaching the lone guard. She was moving slowly along the wall of the building, low and stealthy, stalking slowly and methodically, like a panther. She peeked quickly into one of the windows and then ducked under them, continuing along in a crawl. She was approaching the lone figure from behind his back shoulder. He wouldn't see her unless he turned. She halted a few meters away and reached into the gap in her poncho. A knife was visible when her hand reemerged and the old man's heart began to race. It was times like this when she frankly scared the hell out of him. What the hell is she going to do? Assassinate this guy? He wiped the cold rain out of his eyes and watched her slowly approach the seated figure. Just then, he heard someone. It sounded like a child sobbed loudly inside the bus, followed by a shushing. What the hell? thought the old man. The man on the bench had heard the sounds, too, and looked his way. The old man ducked back behind the bus and didn't think he'd been seen. Bill's ears were back, and he looked at the old man with beseeching alertness, waiting for a command. Hold! The old man hissed low and direct below the noise of the storm. He leaned hard into the back of the bus and unslung his crossbow. Glancing up the side of the bus to the windows, the old man was surprised to see a smiley face being traced into the steam on the inside of the back window from the inside. Kids, he thought. Oh, this wasn't good. This wasn't good at all. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my survivor friends, and welcome back to the apocalypse. This is Chris, your host. And uh, how was your time off? Did you miss us? Huh? Did you miss us? I'm pleased to say that the the show has been growing very well since we last talked. We're over 20,000 downloads, and we're approaching somewhere around 200 downloads a day, 1,000 downloads a week, so that's that's a good clip. So we're hitting that hockey stick, that hockey stick curve. And it tells me a couple of things. I think it tells me a couple of things. One is that more people are finding the show. I have not been doing any advertising, any paid advertising anyhow, for the show. All I've done is drop a couple updates in social media. So all this growth, it's uh, organic, which means people are finding the show without us having to push it on them. So that begs the question, if I'm not pushing the show, how are they finding it organically? And my guess would be it's a combination of things. It's what we would call a virtuous cycle. The more people download and listen, the more it gets recommended, both algorithmically and in the podcast apps and also by word of mouth. So thank you. Thank you for recommending the show. We appreciate it. And thank you for liking it. And thank you for, you know, if you write a review or anything like that, that's great. Anything you can do to help pay it forward helps us all survive in this apocalypse. And the second thing that this growth tells us is that the show is of a high enough quality and it's compelling enough to have people recommend it, which is great. If the quality is good, if we're adding value, then there's more pull from the marketplace. So it's a win, 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 win. I haven't asked, though, for those of you who are listening to this, with all this growth of the show, the audience not starting to climb up that hockey stick curve going exponential... If you have any great recommendations on advertisers we could work with, I mean, Acast is putting ads in, but I could also read ad copy for, you know, from the right product, right company. If you know something that you think will fit, you know, drop us a line. Uh, if, you know, as long as it's appropriate, we don't want to be weird. <laughs> we can add, add value to our tribe here. I'm, I'm all for that. So anyway, I'll just leave that out there and see if the, the universe responds got to meet the universe halfway right and it's also another thing we're learning here is this is an evergreen show what i mean is that you can start listening to season one today or a year from now and get the same experience as those of us who started the journey back in january and that being said new content we keep adding this new content keeps those people coming back who start listening gives them a reason to return so that's what season two is all about we're taking that universe and those characters that we developed in season one and we're building on them we're developing them and like i said my intention is to do five seasons of the show each season will target 20 episodes and my schedule is to drop an episode every two weeks so the last season took us about seven months so if we can continue with that fortnightly cadence that brings us to like march of 2022 to finish up season two so who knows buckle up my friends here we go another season we've got 36 as of today members in our after the apocalypse facebook group and you can find it 
by searching for Old Man Apocalypse, all one word, in Facebook. Links are also in the show notes. When I say show notes, that means in the blog posts that I post on ACAST with the shows. And also, if you just hit the uh, notes button in whatever podcast app you have, the, it will you'll see the notes, right? So they're actually, that text is in the file that you get with the podcast. You just have to view it. The book manuscript from season one that I made out of season one, it's pretty much done. I may go back and do some minor rewrites. Thank you all for the the, <laughs> the typo hunting help. We found some egregious errors that would that were cringeworthy that I had missed and, and my editor had missed. So it, I may go back and do a little bit more tweaking just to make everything more contiguous as we learned. We went through the season two. We learned things, so make sure everything still lines up. Season one, I mean. And I'm waiting on my book cover art. I'm not in a hurry, but if any of you have any ideas in terms of publishing or connections that I should talk to for this sort of stuff, you know, you want to share, again, feel free. We'll lean in, meet the universe halfway. <laughs> when I make progress on any of these things, I'll let you know through here and then also over on the Facebook group so you can watch for that. So while we were out on our August break, I read a book called Astounding. And the full title is Astounding. John W. Campbell, Isaac Asimov, Robert A. Heinlein, L. Ron Hubbard, and the Golden Age of Science Fiction, which pretty much sums up what this book was all about. And it was an interesting read for me because I'm a science fiction fan. It talks about how John W. Campbell nurtured these writers and how they then progressed into their careers. You know, for example, it talks about how Campbell gave Asimov the idea for the laws of robotics. Basically, these guys would bring a manuscript of a story to Campbell and he would say, no, 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 not that, not that. Write about this instead. And that's where we got a lot of our classic science fiction from, like the Foundation series and and all this stuff. And these guys didn't think they were writing science fiction per se. They thought they were inventing the future. And Campbell ended up taking a lot of credit for imagining the A-bomb in his uh, editorials before it was actually reality. They also had a very specific view of how the world worked. They believed hard science was the solution to every problem. Uh, they were smart guys, but they were filled with this hubris and lack of self-awareness. Those stories that they wrote were about ideal supermen who could figure stuff out and beat the odds through their use of science and independently-minded drive, and their worlds were very chauvinistic. And one thing that they were very concerned about was that mankind had the technology to invent the weapons of self-destruction, like the A-bomb, but was not developed mentally enough to control it. And there's some truth to that, right? And they saw things like politics and psychology as weaknesses because they weren't hard sciences. And that's where you start to get stories like the Foundation series, right, where they replace the soft cultural things with mathematical models of psychohistory and mathematical sociology. These guys are trying to imprint science on everything. And by the way, there is a foundation movie or series coming out on one of the cable networks. We'll have to see how good that is. 
And science fiction in their hands became a sandbox to play with these ideas. And in this way, science fiction became more than just action stories. It became a modeling tool to think about and debate the future. And that was what the golden age of science fiction was all about. Unfortunately, they began to believe their own stories, and it sort of bled over into the real world. Uh, first, Campbell and Hubbard tried to rewrite psychology as a science. Unsurprisingly, this approach, captured in Dianetics, was rejected by all the real psychologists. And after it was rejected by the real scientists, Hubbard then turned Dianetics into a religion, which we now know as Scientology. And Hubbard, just in general, was a real piece of work. But I will leave it at that and let you make your own judgments. I'm currently about to crack open Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, which is one of his most popular books that chronicles the adventures of a human raised on Mars discovering Earth culture. And apparently it was very popular in the 60s counterculture. We'll see how that ages. And that title, Stranger in a Strange Land, is, of course, a quote from the Bible. Or, more specifically, the King James Bible created in 1604 through 1611 in England, and that is from Exodus, Stranger in a Strange Land. Now, the King James Bible leans heavily on the Tyndale translation from 100 years earlier, and then the Tyndale translation was an improvement of the original Wycliffe Bible from the 1300s, where the same passage would have read, a cumling in an alien land, which isn't so easy on the tongue, is it? Anyhow, if you're a fan of the golden age of science fiction, it might be worth a read for you. That age and those works influence everything from Star Wars to After the Apocalypse. What did you think of this first episode in Season 2? Started right in with some action. Always like to start with some good action, right? Set the pace. Pull people in. Feel free to send me feedback. Love any suggestions or critiques. I'm a student of this effort, and I'm always learning, so feel free. You won't hurt my feelings. So far, the most common feedback I get is, don't you dare kill off the dog. <laughs> I get it. I love dogs, too. I'm warming my foot on my border collie ollie as we speak. But, yeah, you know, the apocalypse is a dangerous place. And even though our show is making progress, we're still running a uh, financial deficit here that Chris is funding. And it would help greatly if you could go to Patreon and become a patron or throw some money my way. Because, you know, we don't want to see Bill get hurt now, do we? Kidding, kidding, no hate mail. That's it for me. Shoot me a note, say hi. Looking forward to season two. And above all else, keep surviving. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.